0: Welcome to the Bold SLP Podcast. We are so happy that you're here and can't wait to share with you all of the amazing conversations we've been having.
1: We are the co-founders of the Bold SLP Collective, and we are also your hosts, Lisa, Desi, and myself, Ingrid. Each of us has a variety of experiences in all things bilingual and bimodal speech-language pathology. You'll get to know us pretty well on here. We started this podcast to share our lived experiences, but also because we want to bring advocacy and cultural humility to the forefront of every speech therapy conversation. We hope that you'll join us each week, and we hope that you enjoy this episode.
0: Welcome back to the Bold SLP Podcast. Today I'm here with Ingrid Um, Ingrid really saved me throughout the pandemic. She was there for me. She listened to me. She didn't even know me. I was a complete stranger. So thank you for everything that you've done for me, Ingrid. Today, we're going to hear all about Ingrid's story, uh, going beyond the seas with Ingrid. So Ingrid, whenever
1: you're ready. (laughs) Thanks, Lisa. You're so sweet. I loved connecting with you on Instagram. We'll get to that, but I did... I wanted to start from the beginning. I just, I guess kind of give you all the timeline of who I am, all about me. So I think the first thing you need to know about me is that I, I'm the first born in my family. I'm the oldest of two. And I think that that has shaped a lot of who I am and how I am. So I love being a big sister. So I'm the first one in my family of a youngest sister. Um, mm-hmm. there's just the two of us. So when I was little, um, we were mostly in Mexico. Um, while I was born in California, my mom didn't really ever envision us being over in the U S she is from Chihuahua. So was my dad in Mexico. So I grew up in Mexico. Most of my formative years, I would say like, uh, birth to six or seven We traveled to the U.S. a lot because my dad's family was in the U.S. So I had some access to the culture, to the language. Chihuahua, for those of you who don't know, is um, a border state, so we border Texas. So it was really easy to go on short holidays and even longer holidays to spend time with our family who was in the U.S. And we did that back and forth for many years. Until, yeah, until I was six or seven, my grandmother who lived in California, she had a massive hemorrhagic stroke. And she was in the hospital for a long, long time. And we ended up uh, moving over there semi-permanently. We always knew that we would come back, but we moved to California for a couple of years. And, you know, if you hear my English and you hear my accent... You can credit those couple of years for that. I was in school. I remember joining the second grade class and sitting there and not understanding a single word that was being said, being a native Spanish speaker and having very limited English uh, knowledge and zero proficiency, really. I remember sitting at the assemblies and just not knowing what was going on. I was already in second grade. So I have pretty vivid memories of that um, wow. I know I've shared before. Uh, yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah,
0: <laughs> we have these <laughs> these classes in Canada called um, the Welcome Class or la classe d'accueil, and oh. it, yeah, it's for like immigrant kids who don't speak the language. And we just never knew what went on in there, and we didn't even communicate with those kids. But
1: ah, oh, that must have been so yeah. hard. It was, and I'm just like now learning to like unpack how that all felt. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, as a grown-up and as a mom, um, figuring out, like, for example, I could have been raising my kids to be Spanish speakers first, but I was very adamant that I didn't want them going into school and being confused or being um, othered, you know, if they their English wasn't up to par. Yeah. And I realize now that that stems from my experience. You know, I don't know that it would happen today, especially in the amazing school that we landed in, but just that little bit of residual um, pain from my experience, I was like, no, they got to have their English down first before we start with Spanish, which Mm. totally goes against everything we know in the research that we know now. everything. yeah. Yeah, everything we now know in the research and everything I know as a speech therapist just couldn't get over that hurdle as a mom and Mm -hmm. it just brings me back to those first few months in school in California being totally lost. Um, Mm -hmm. I know I've told this story before Um, I had a teacher in second grade who would punish the kids by throwing our shoes out the window (gasps) and it could be anything it could be speaking out of turn it could be you know Grabbing someone else's pencil. But for me, the one time she threw my shoe out the window was because I was speaking Spanish to one of my friends. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So and that was I mean, I'm not that old. It was maybe 20 plus years ago. Yeah. So when people now ask me why I'm so loud about linguistic diversity and Mm -hmm. language equity, it's because. Those kids that we speak of, uh, that was me. I was one of those kids. I'm so sorry, Ingrid. (sighs) Oh, it's okay. I was so lucky, Lisa. I have the best parents in the world. They came home after working all day, and they sat down with me to make sure that I didn't lose my Spanish skills. Even Mm -hmm. not knowing back then, you know, how much they were giving to me. They would sit down and teach me from um, the textbooks from Mexico, and they would make a point of me being proud of my Spanish-speaking skills and my Mexican heritage. So I never really even felt othered in the country or at home. It was just those little moments at school that kind of like, I think, sat with me in a way that I hadn't really processed, I guess. Not to get into like a therapy session. (laughs)
0: No, no. but I'm so proud of your parents.
1: And I mean, this is all a part of your journey. So just like go with it. Yes. So after that, I was a really confident little girl, you know, English and Spanish, pretty strong within like six, seven months. I feel I became really, really confident in school. And then soon after, I believe we we spent a summer in Mexico and then we came back and um, I was in third grade. And I'll never forget her name. I don't want to say her name, but I remember her name and her face. My third grade teacher, she was, um, she was Hispanic. I don't know exactly her heritage, but she spoke Spanish Mm -hmm. and she was a godsend to me, you know, after having had that experience the year prior and then just being stronger in my English and just, I kind of hit my stride. In third and fourth grade and also in fourth grade I had another Latino teacher I do remember he was from Puerto Rico Um, all that's to say that you know just the difference between one year to the next having that representation and that connection with a teacher who looked like me who spoke the language that I spoke at home so I don't know for all the teachers out there who think that they don't make a difference I hope they know they do but so, after that oh go ahead
0: Sorry in grade 2 you didn't speak any English and then no. in grade 3 you did. Yes. Amazing. So it and it was helpful months. to have a you know a teacher and you know seeing representation too and that there was that comfort level too right
1: that allowed yes. you to take risks and well oh, wow. she would allow me to, like um, I have this very clear vivid memory of the word dark in Spanish because she would allow me to use my Spanish skills to know to show what I knew whenever there were gaps you know as my bilingualism was developing yes and so the word dark in Spanish is oscuro we say it oscuro without a b but a lot of Spanish speakers spell it with a b obscuro and so I would I would spell it with the B, and she would tell me, No, no, it's not with the B. And I would go home to my mom, and she's like, mm, Your teacher's wrong. <laughs> and, and I would go back to class, and she's like, Oh, maybe I need to learn. And she would literally like humble herself in front of a third grader and look it up in a dictionary. And she'd be like, You're right. They are both correct options. Like, wow. you know, we were both correct. And she would do things like that for me that I think meant everything. What an incredible teacher. Wow. Yes. That's why I'm like, I know her name. I haven't forgotten her. I don't know where she's at, but I don't know. I don't know whatever happened. You know, there was no social media back then. But yeah, after that, I think my mom didn't like California. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I didn't know at the time. You know, I didn't understand. I was fine either way. I was just a kid, you know. They made sure I was protected and happy. But we went back to Mexico after that. So I was only in the U.S. really part of the second grade, third and fourth. Okay. And then we went back to Mexico. And that's where the rest of me, you know, kind of came about. I went to uh, grade school, finished grade school, and then middle school, I don't know if you guys have middle school in Canada.
0: And no, then we, high school. we go from elementary straight to high school.
1: Okay, so it all kind of stays together. But our elementary is uh, a
0: little bit longer, so yeah.
1: Yeah. In Mexico, it's longer too. You go until the sixth grade in elementary. Mm-hmm. And then middle school, we call it secondary. And it's seventh, eighth, and ninth. And then high school, we call it prep school. And it's 10th, 11th, and 12th. Growing up in Mexico was amazing. Um, I grew up with a strong sense of identity. I think that that's really shaped who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always knew I was American. And I think that's hard for people to understand, especially in recent climate where you have to be one thing or another. Yeah. Um, I always knew I was American. I always loved being American and I loved being Mexican, And I think it's okay to be both and honor both and feel patriotism for both. I don't see it as something that is one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, that's kind of part of me and it's part of my children now too, because they understand that they are both American and they're Mexican because their mom is Mexican, their grandparents are Mexican. So it's kind of something we navigate now, but back then it was hard for me for, because people didn't understand. I wasn't Mexican enough sometimes, and then I wasn't American enough sometimes, but I think we're going in the right, in the right direction now, talking about identity and what we feel inside and what heritage matters to us. So Those years were really special being with my family, just being, I don't know. I feel in Mexico, children grew up to be a little bit more independent, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. I just felt really independent. I was taking public transportation at age 15. I don't see that happening here for my daughters. (laughs) Um, And just, I don't know, just a lot of freedom, which always people wonder, and why did you move back to the US? And it was, again, my grandmother who had recovered, she became ill. And we decided that we would move for good this time. Uh, my parents received their, their permits, their permanent residency permits to move. And I was 16. And I was heartbroken. I had my whole life uh, we had just bought a house and I was in, a um, really amazing private preparatory school. I had a boyfriend, I had friends, <laughs> I had an entire life, you know, I was learning to drive and all of a sudden yeah. we were moving and I didn't even know where we were going. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Yeah. That's a big yeah. shift. It was, um, at the time, uh, being at that private school, um, There was a lot of expectation. I know we talked about that in your episode a little bit. Um, I got accepted into a very prestigious private school. I was on scholarship at the age of 15. I had to test into this school. And so the pressure was on. Everybody there, like you mentioned, Lisa, was either going to be a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, something major. Mm -hmm. Um, And the course load was heavy and I was taking organic chem and English when I was 16 years old Because <laughs> um, did thought, you enjoy
0: those courses
1: oh I loved it I loved it because not only did I enjoy the science I enjoyed math it was an easy layup for me already being an English speaker but, you know whereas my peers were learning English sometimes um, as a second language for me it was kind of like uh, extra little boost, you know, something that was easy to me because of my time spent in California. Mm-hmm. So I, that's when I started taking French. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I know because English was easy and Spanish was easy. So we went for the third language, which was amazing. Yeah, so French was my third language. And I think I started when I was 15. And I really loved it. I had this amazing teacher uh, from Quebec. She was so interactive. We were never sitting down, never doing a workbook. We were playing Uno. We were playing charades. And towards the end of the third semester, we put on an entire play in French. And I wish I remembered what it was. I think it was something from Shakespeare. I just can't remember if it was Romeo and Juliet or Midsummer Night's Dream. Hmm. I'm trying to recall it. Yeah, she was so exciting. She was, you know, just so, so dynamic. And then Mm -hmm. my last semester, I went to the more advanced class, which was with um, a man from France. I can't remember his name, obviously. Didn't make a big impact on me, but he was the workbook and don't speak any Spanish or English in my class. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was a little bit kind of like the luster wore off for a little Mm -hmm. bit. But I had a lot of the basics and I enjoyed it and language came easily to me. I think maybe like already having learned two languages, the third one wasn't that bad and it was exciting at first. So Mm -hmm. I tried to keep it up. I tried. I know we talked about that before in our conversations, That I feel like I've lost my French. I'm here for you, so. You're ready. (laughs) Thanks. I know. I'm like so self conscious about it. But yeah, that was me in high school. And I feel like we moved to the US and I just grew up real quick. I didn't have time for messing around and parties and, you know, getting to know people. I had three semesters left, if we were being real, because I moved midway through year 11 and Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get out of there I wanted to be done and I wanted to go to college and that was it and so I I feel like that last year and a half is kind of a blur um I tried to do everything I could to catch up because I didn't have you know the U.S. history and U.S. geography you know I was Mm -hmm. missing some of those extras so I did a lot of that online and just trying to Keep a flow, and I did do some AP stuff like you were talking about the pressures. Um, I thought I still wanted to be a pediatrician, I thought I still wanted to go to med school. I took advanced anatomy and physiology, and like you said, it wasn't did you say pigs? I can't remember what you said dissecting rats, <laughs> rats. Yeah. it wasn't rats for us, it was a cat, Lisa. Uh, uh...
0: Well, that we, will deter anyone from the field.
1: We were dissecting a cat. And uh, keep on going.
0: <laughs> I I did want to go back to something you were saying before. Yeah, go ahead. I feel that a lot of us, especially immigrants, do always feel the need to like catch up to the rest of our peers, whereas right. most of them are no hurry and like take gap years. And I, I don't know where this came from. Where we constantly feel like we're behind.
1: But we're fine. Yeah, I don't know. And I was honestly, like, I graduated in the top 10% of my class.
0: And yeah, I have no doubt. Happy,
1: I was not happy about it. Oh. I could not care less because I wasn't top five. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that, that drive that seems like it's a good drive, but it's rooted in something else.
0: Yeah, I feel like we always, we all feel that the standard just has to be higher for us. Like we mm-hmm. already feel lower than the, you're not as good as. So we put that, the bar, we, feel so high for ourselves.
1: And yeah, it causes a lot of confusion, damage to our self esteem. Right. Yeah, I was just glad to be done. And honestly, I understood that if I had more time, there I could have achieved that goal Mm -hmm. but at the same time I didn't celebrate what I did achieve and so now I definitely am more mindful of that with myself and in raising my own children great great Um, because I don't think it was anything that my parents put on me it was just society you know I was coming in as a new girl as a girl who looked different and had a different name Mm -hmm. and was coming in from Mexico. And, and I actually went to two different high schools. I didn't even tell you that because we were in one part of Texas for a few months and then in another part of Texas for another, for the rest of the time. So I was the new kid twice in that year. That's Um, really hard. Yeah. So I think, Now that I think about it, like, I became really good at making friends, but not really good at keeping them. (laughs) Not really good at keeping in touch, not really good at going deep enough in a friendship that you could get hurt if something happens or if you lose that friendship. Mm. Um, I'm trying to get better at it, even though a lot of these new friendships are long distance, they feel really open and unique and strong so hopefully we can get to know each other and meet in person one day even though we're in two different countries but
0: oh 100 yeah. but I, I do want to ask you how
1: all of this led to speech therapy oh my gosh it's mild. so all of this leads to speech therapy because I start pre-med and so I take all of those bio classes and I do well um, but then I'm feeling like you said, you know, the dissection and when do you ever really get to help people, you know, yeah. if you're working on, on this sciencey stuff. And then I got to know like the businessy side of medical settings too. And I'm like, no, that doesn't sound like anything, you know, I want, I always said pediatrician cause I love children and <laughs> I like helping families like, <laughs> Being a pediatrician, I don't think sounds like I would be helping a single family at all, you know, so in the way that I wanted. So I switched over to psychology and that was a little bit hard to explain because I didn't know where that would go either. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm so thankful that I did. It led me to classes like philosophy and led me to classes like statistics. And just more time to do my French. I kept going with my French studies and more time to learn about languages and linguistics. If I hadn't made that switch from pre-med to psych, I wouldn't have found linguistics and I wouldn't have found SLP. So, yeah, and even my senior year, I was feeling pretty lost. I was applying to different kinds of programs. I wasn't sure... If I was going to be a researcher, um, I applied to some PhD, um, school psych programs, um, psychology PhD programs until one of my friends um, and peers from university, she had graduated a year before me and she said, Mm -hmm. hey, you're bilingual. If you were an SLP, you would never struggle to find a job. (laughs) <laughs> she's like, you have no idea how much we need Spanish-speaking SLPs. And I'm like, what in the world is an SLP? Right. So I'm here. It's literally probably 10 days before all the grad school applications deadlines are hitting um, for the fall of 2009. Mm-hmm. And she's telling me about this whole new job, new career. And I'm looking it up and I'm like... This is me. This is everything that I have been doing that I don't know how to put together. All of my love for anatomy and physiology, for helping people, for languages and linguistics, for bilingual brains, for behavior and human interaction like all of the things that I've been kind of flip flopping and bouncing around with. Yeah. Put into one little packet called yes. speech language pathology. So. I was obsessed. I was obsessed and I didn't care if I got into all those other other programs that I had applied to. I wanted to get into an SLP grad program. Mm.
0: And so I I did all came together
1: for you. Like every bit of interest you had school all in one place. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I had a lot of help along the way. I as always, I had scholarships, I had financial aid through uh, college. So I was working. Uh, that's one of the programs uh, from federal funding. You kind of get a grant and you do a work study. Mm-hmm. I was working for the last four years. I mean, I'd been working every year in school, but the last two years of um, college, I was working with a person from New Mexico who had a friend who was a professor. Of audiology, and so she said, "Hey, if you're looking into SLP, you got to meet my friend." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, what does your friend do?" She said, "Oh, she's an audiologist at this really awesome program," and I'm like, oh okay, I would love to like pick her brain." And she set that all up for me. And even before going to Dallas, I had information, I had a contact, and I think that that was really, really imperative. Um, And I got into the program I wanted in Dallas. I got into a program in uh, Texas Tech in Lubbock, I believe, Texas. I got into the program in Arizona, which now in hindsight, my bilingualism would have been more supported over there. Um, But I had to decide based on financial, you know, opportunities, because I was a Texas resident and I couldn't afford to go to Arizona. So, I had to make a choice to either, you know, go far away from my family and everyone I knew, my fiancé at the time, my husband now, and go do SLP far away in Dallas. I know it sounds like it's the same state, but Dallas is huge. It's like 11 hours away. And um, I went there, and it, it was an amazing fit right away. I I didn't like the city I'm not a big city person, but my program, my experiences, the people I met, the clinical instructors I had, uh, they were my favorite. I still to this day, I'm like, my dream is to be a clinical instructor, like the ones I had. Um, They would teach us at clinic in the morning with real clients. And then in the afternoon we had lecture. So my first year there, I was um, at an outpatient Neuro Rehabilitation Center. In the morning, I had a client, a bilingual Spanish-speaking client. And then in the afternoon, I would go to neuro class with the same clinical instructor. And I think it made a world of difference to me and how I view our field in mentorship and supervision. Uh, It was a great, great place for me. Hopefully on another episode, we can get more into my journey in the SLP world how I became a bilingual SLP but for now this was you know pretty much all about me how I got here uh, beyond the CCCs all the things that make me me and yeah that's pretty much all I wanted to share with you guys today just getting to know me um, as we move on with this project we all felt it was really important for Uh, you guys to know who we are and where we're coming from and I think um, for myself I really think my journey started very early on and all those things came together to make me the SLP that I am today so thank you guys so much for listening thank you Lisa. thank you for listening and supporting the Bold SLP Collective You can find a closed-captioned version of this podcast on our YouTube channel. We will also have show notes on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do all the podcast things. Follow, subscribe, download, and review. And don't forget, we love hearing from you, so connect with us on Instagram at The Bold SLP Collective. Stay bold and humble. See you next time.